How are we doing this morning? Good. Two things before we get started. Um, the first one is this. Um, I Every time I come to y'all's church, I just want to honor you because of the fact that you guys understand one thing, and that's honor. I mean, every time I come in this building, people are like, can I get you some? Can I get you some water? Do you need anything? Can I take you to the bathroom? I'm like, no, I can take, handle that myself. Um, so you guys, honestly, you just blow me away with that. And two, um, the second thing is, if you saw the color for Akir and you've heard anything about Pastor Josh, I just want to give you um, a report because he could not be here. He's actually on uh, Make-A-Wish right now. They're in California. They applied for the Make-A-Wish thing, a vacation, and they won this free vacation, all expenses paid to California. But I just want to share something that is so awesome because I've uh, had the privilege to be a part of this race since the beginning and, and planning it and stuff. And we set out in the very beginning to kind of just this crazy goal, like, let's have a thousand people at this race. And um, as of two days ago, we have 1,200 people registered. 1,200 people registered. So um, we have already, the, the, um, the CEO and president of Color for a Cure is flying down to be a part of this race because he said it's the largest fundraiser and the largest thing that, that uh, pulmonary hypertension has ever done for them. They've already raised, they've, they're already one of the biggest um, givers for this foundation. And so it's just incredible. I can not even, I could stand up here for hours and just tell you stories and stories and stories of everything that God is doing in Jennings and throughout all of our churches because of this one story. Um, you can't go anywhere without anybody knowing what's going on at our church. And so many people are watching us there and God just has an incredible opportunity to be glorified. So um, I just wanted to share that with you. So before we get into anything, let's just go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that God, that it's not about me and it's not about the words that I choose to say, but God, it is all about you. God, I pray that it would not be my words that are spoken, but it would be your words. God, we thank you for the people in this room. God, we thank you for the ones that, God, are close to you and even for the ones that are far from you. God, I pray for the ones that have built up walls. God, that even this morning that you would begin to tear those down. God, that you would speak to their heart only like you can. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in this uh, two-part series called Teach Us to Pray. And last week, Pastor Jamie um, gave you kind of four things, kind of simply teaching you how to pray. So I want to set it up first and let you guys know that I'm not going to teach you how to pray um, this morning. I just want to rather give you a charge of how important it just simply is to do it, um, to simply pray. So I'm going to take one theme and kind of weave it throughout my entire message. And the theme is this. The primary purpose of prayer is aligning our will with God's will. The reason that we go to prayer, the reason that we take time out of our day to connect with Jesus is to simply take our desires, our wants, and our passions and to align them with His. So I want to read uh, a verse for you, and it should be on the screen. It's in uh, John, and it starts in chapter 4. And I'm going to read it, and you're probably going to ask me, what does this have to do with prayer? But I promise you it has everything to do with it. I'm going to explain it at the end. John uh, chapter 4, verse 9 through 10, it says this. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, 
If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So what does that have to do with prayer? Let me explain it this way. How many of you, um, I remember a pastor at one time, he said he was at this conference and this girl named Taylor Swift came to this conference. Okay, so every that most people in the world know who Taylor Swift is. Even if you don't like country music, you know who Taylor Swift is. Well, this pastor who lives in Australia has absolutely no clue who this girl Taylor Swift is. And it happened to come together. He ends up sitting next to her, having this conversation with her without realizing who he's talking to, and everybody around him is just stunned that he's talking to this girl, and he has no clue who this girl Taylor Swift is. So afterwards, he leaves the conversation, and people are coming up to him and like, dude, do you realize you just sat next to Taylor Swift for like two hours, and you were holding a conversation? And he's like, well, who's Taylor Swift? And so they begin to go online and search and see that she's this huge, mega, super country star in, in the States and all across the world, and they were kind of blown away. Here's the one key that you pull out of this. He had no idea who he was talking to. He had no idea who she was. And what this verse is saying is if that woman would have known who Jesus was, do you think that Jesus would have been asking her for a drink or she would have been asking Jesus for a drink? Because if she knew who he was, I think her posture would have been a lot different, don't you? If you went to that well and you saw that that was Jesus, you'd been, oh my gosh, God, here's, uh, I need a miracle here. I got a sick kid here. Your, your posture would have been completely different. So here's what I want to get across to you this morning. If you genuinely knew who Jesus was in your prayer life and in your private life, it would be so much different. See, for so many of us, it's so hard to recognize when Jesus is trying to come in and invade our lives because we don't even notice him. We don't even notice him. And so what I want to try to do this morning is to give you not only just a plea to recognize who Jesus is, but just how important it is to connect and commune with Jesus on a daily basis. A failure in our prayer life is genuinely a failure to know Jesus. Yet again, echoing John 4, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask me. So let me give you a few examples. I spoke this message in Jennings um, last week, and the example I used was a prayerless Christian, or we could sum it as a Christian who just does not connect with Jesus, who does not carve out time to spend with Jesus, is kind of like a bus driver who's driving a bus, and his bus breaks down on this hill. And he decides in all of his strength to get out of the bus, go behind the bus, and try to push this bus up a hill without realizing that sitting in the front seat is this guy named Clark Kent, whose muscles and flesh is made out of steel when his own is made out of just flesh. So do you think if this guy knew that Clark Kent was sitting on the bus that he would have gone around into the bus on the first row and said, hey, listen, bro, my muscles are made of flesh. Yours are made of steel. Do you think you could help me out with this bus here? If he knew that Clark Kent was on that bus, he would have asked. Same as in your situation and in your life, if you would have known who Jesus was, your posture would be much different. Let me give you another example. A prayerless Christian is kind of like having your room wallpapered with Saks Fifth Avenue gift cards, but yet you continue to shop at Goodwill because you don't know how to read. Right? 
So there, let me, let me, let me say it this way. There is absolutely no substitute in your life for spending time with Jesus. None. There is no way that you can get through one day, one week, one year, one month without connecting with Jesus on a daily basis. A Christian that does not pray and a Christian that that does not connect with Jesus does not make sense. You're probably more miserable than somebody who just doesn't know Jesus. Because here's the thing, you're aware of your sin, but you're not fighting and battling. And you're not seeing victory in any area. So, Christianity is not a comfort-filled life. Christianity is not a comfort-filled life. I heard a, I read a good explanation of it this morning. A guy named D.A. Carson said in a book, he said, You know what? I want the $3 gospel. I want the $3 gospel. What does that mean? He said, you know what? I want a Christianity that fits me. I want to live in a nice house. I don't really want to have any struggle in my life. I don't want to have any conflict. I want Jesus to bless me 100% of the time. Basically, I want a cheap gospel. I want a cheap gospel. And the problem with that is, is that when real suffering comes... And real hardship and real pain comes and you have not connected with Jesus and you're basing your life on this cheap gospel, it will not sustain you. Christianity is not a comfort-filled life. It is a violent fight against your flesh to know Christ daily. So I've, I've entitled this message, To Fight to Know. See, to know Christ, there has to be a fight to know Him. Right? It is a constant daily battle of the flesh to connect with Jesus. The neglect of connecting with Jesus is always the reason for stagnation in your relationship with Jesus. So let me give you an example, and it's found in um, Luke chapter 22, um, verses 39 through 62. And I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it. I'm not going to read the whole thing. If you want to go back later and read it, you can. So Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives to pray, and um, he told his disciples one thing. He said, listen, before I go up there, I want you guys to pray. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Pray that you do not enter into temptation. This is right before Jesus is actually about to be crucified, right before he's about to be murdered. And Jesus is 100% aware of what's about to happen. And he knows that Peter and many of the other disciples have the opportunity to fall into temptation. So he gives them a warning. He says, listen, while I'm praying and I'm going to seek the Father, you do the same so that you do not fall into temptation. And if you know the story, what ends up happening? Jesus goes up to the mountain, he goes to pray, and the disciples stay back and they fall asleep. And so here's what happens. Jesus gave them a warning. He said, connect with the Father, connect with me, go pray. Align your will with my will, your desires with my desires, your passions with my passions. And they fall asleep. And the next thing that Peter does is he tries to take on the whole Roman army with a sword by cutting a guy's ear off. Right? And then a few verses later, what happens? He denies Jesus three times. Actually, if you read all throughout the New Testament, all 12 disciples end up denying Christ at some point. 
He told his disciples, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Peter did not connect with Jesus. And what was the result? He fell into temptation. So I come here to tell you this morning that if you're, you feel like your life is kind of like that little hamster on a wheel just going over and over and you're running in circles and you're not really getting anywhere, it's probably because of the fact that you're not prioritizing your time with Jesus. And here's how I find it, especially in Amer- American culture, is we have, we have our busy schedule. Like, our, our busy, like in America, we're really busy, right? And a lot of times it's just busy for the sake of being busy. It's not important stuff. So we have our busy schedule, and then we have our relationship with Jesus. And what we try to do is we try to take our schedule and we try to somehow like fit Jesus into that schedule. And if he doesn't work that day, then you know you, you just wake up the next day and you try to do it all over again. When in reality, it should be our relationship with Jesus and our schedule. And how do I prioritize my schedule and my family and my work life? And how does that match up to my relationship with Jesus? Peter did not pray, and as a result, he fell into temptation. What is true of Peter is true of all of us. We fall in private before we ever fall in public. We fall in private before we ever fall in public. No man ever wakes up one morning and says, You know what? I feel like having an affair. You you don't just do that. You don't have pastors that stand up in front of congregations of thousands of people with a, an associate pastor who comes out shaking and reading a note and saying, Pastor so-and-so can't be here this morning because he just fell in immorality. You don't get that overnight. It doesn't just happen. It All of a sudden it becomes that somehow something else begins to become your God and your priority. Your business begins to become your God. Your hobbies begin to become your God. Your relationship with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or even your husband or your wife begin to become your God. And ultimately, you begin to fall and you begin to take your priority and your relationship with Jesus and begin to kind of move it down the scale. You fall in private before you ever fall in public. So here's a question. Are you carving out time in your day to connect with Christ on a daily basis? A time to fight your flesh and increase your senses to the schemes of temptation. See, when we go to prayer, when we connect with Jesus, that is our opportunity to fight. It is our opportunity to say, God, here's my heart. You know everything that wants to just move away from you. You know my desires. You know when that certain person walks in the room inside, I am... (laughs) You know everything that's going on in here, and God, I am taking this time to spend with you so that you can begin to align my will with yours. My will with your will. Matthew 6, 6 says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. We know that in, 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 in the verse before that, in verse 5, what is he saying? Don't pray like the Pharisees. Don't pray in public, for they receive kind of their reward in front of men. And so the next verse is kind of like, you know, when you pray, go into your room. But I think, I fully, I'm fully aware of what this, this passage is saying, but I think that there's one thing, one indicator that applies to us that we don't talk about often, and it's four words in Matthew 6, 6. It says, go into your room. 
simply implying, hey, there has to be some place that you go on a daily basis. Some place that you go and that you connect with Jesus. I've explained it like this a thousand times. For me, the way that I connect with Jesus, and it may sound simple and it may sound dumb, but the, the, something that stirs my affections for Jesus is when I wake up in the morning, and the first thing I have to do is take a shower. Because if I don't, I am, I'm out. You know, I need hot water. I don't care if I took a shower the night before. Like, it's just shower because I am not a morning person at all. And then next thing I do is I hit the coffee button. And that smell of coffee begins to wake me up, and it makes me kind of want to, okay, now I'm ready. And so it may look different for all of us, but what are just simple things that stir your affections to want to be with Jesus? Is it music? Is it worship music? Is it coffee? Is it what, whatever it is? Some of us just being in the outdoors. See, God gave us those things for our delight, and He gave us those things also to stir our affections for Him. I think that D.A. Carson, he, he wrote a, co- a quote, and uh, it says this. It says, People do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience, scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. He says, we drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of the lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godliness, godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. What is this quote explaining? Point number one that I want to make is you will never drift towards holiness. What does that mean? You will never wake up one morning and go just by the, the seat of your pants. Go, I feel closer to God than I was the day before. You're never going to wake up and just feel more righteous. You're never going to wake up and just fall more in love with Jesus without a fight. Without connecting with him on a daily basis and constantly saying, my flesh wants this, but God, I am coming to you and I'm going to choose to pursue you in this moment. You never drift towards godliness. You never drift towards holiness. The things that we drift towards are the things that take us away from Jesus. In the quote, like he said, you drift towards relaxation. And it's not it's not wrong to relax and have times where we settle down and we calm ourselves from a busy day. But if it's like five hours a day and you're still banning it as relaxation, you're lazy. (laughs) Those are the things that you drift towards and you begin to justify them. Well, I'm just relaxing. Your heart is kind of like a musical instrument. Every Sunday at our Jennings campus, I have the opportunity to lead worship. And I have this routine, and I'm sure that every musician has it here too. Before you jump on stage, if you're playing a guitar or a stringed instrument, you tune it, right? You want to make sure that it's in perfect tune. But if you know something about a guitar, you can tune it. But as soon as you bump it, it goes untuned. And you got to tune it again. And that's kind of like how your heart is. So let me give you an example with a guitar. So if I come up on a Sunday morning, 
And I just, for some reason, which I wouldn't, but for some reason, I forget to tune my guitar. And every other person that is playing is in perfect harmony. They are all tuned, perfect pitch. And I get up, my guitar's out of tune, and I begin to play. And check it out. I'm playing all the right chords. I'm hitting all the notes, like, perfectly. But what is coming out of my guitar is atrocious because it's not in tune. Here's the thing. Your heart needs to be tuned daily. And the reason I gave you the analogy of a guitar is because many of you think that you can live off of just kind of like this Christian lingo. You know, when a, when a hard time comes, I'm just going to quote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When you don't even understand the context of that verse. Paul's saying, I can do all things who strengthen me. And before that, he's saying that out of much affliction and pain and suffering. And he can still say that. It's not just like some little coffee cup verse that we use. He's saying that, listen, I am, I have no, I've been known to be down low. I've been known to be in starvation. And then I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All the knowledge that you know about Jesus will mean absolutely nothing if you're not connecting with Christ when you come through hard times. Because you can be like that guitar. You're, you're quoting all the right verses. You're saying all the right things, but what is coming out still sounds horrible. You have to tune yourself daily. Yet again, echoing John 4.10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that speaks to you, you would ask. In order to know the peace in the storm, you must be with Christ. In order to know joy and suffering, you must connect with Christ. You know, a few years ago, I remember I was actually working, um, as Pastor Jamie said before, I was filming and stuff, and I was out in, in Wyoming filming, and I got this call from my mom saying, hey, um, and it wasn't just like this, but it was, hey, your dad has cancer. And it was kind of one of those, like, boom, just like blows, like, what? In the, are you serious? Is this really happening right now? And we go walk through a year and, you know, kind of, Get over that hump, and I get the phone call again. Hey, it's back. Another blow. Boom. Six months later in January, what? Uh, Pastor Josh gets a call. He he calls me on the phone, and I mean he's in tears, saying, "Hey, listen, Joel has heart failure." Here's the crazy thing about both of those situations, and that I'm so thankful for is that you can watch the people going through those situations and say, man, they're so strong, they're just constantly giving glory to God. But that was a foundation that was already there. They did not just in that moment choose to say, oh, this is a hard time. God, thank you. If the foundation is not there, when a trial comes, you will be crushed. You will be like the man that built his house on the sand. You can look all nice and neat outside. But if that foundation is not there, that storm is going to blow right over you. In order to know the glory and majesty of Christ, you must structure your day to pray without ceasing, as 1 Thessalonians 5 says. I remember when I was younger, that verse used to confuse the heck out of me. Pray without ceasing. Like, what? 
what does that mean? Like, God, don't you understand, like, responsibility? I've got to kind of get stuff done. I can't really pray 24-7. Besides, I, I don't know what I would say. <laughs> Here's what I think it means. I believe pray without ceasing means connect with Jesus at every opportunity that you have. Men, if you commute to work, here's a crazy thing. Try it. It'll blow your mind. Drive in silence. Turn the radio off. And just drive in silence. You know what silence does? At least that I find. Is it makes you think inwardly. You don't have any music that's kind of like distracting you. You don't have the radio that you're, you're getting ticked off because, you know, some... Other guys saying, America's going down the toilet. You know, you hear it, you turn it to the next channel. Oh, by the way, America's going down the toilet. And the next one is the same thing over and over. When you sit in silence, you're forced to think inwardly. All those things that you battle with and all those things that you deal with, they begin to come to your mind. And now you've got to contemplate, God, how am I going to deal with these? God, how am I going to trust you in this area? God, how am I going to... Here's the thing, if all of your extra time, if all of your extra time is filled with things like hobbies, um, social media, entertainment, sleep, these are most likely the things that are causing you to drift. These are most likely the things that are causing you to drift. And why are, why are those things the things that usually cause us to drift? And I'll tell you why. Because good things are much easier to justify than obvious sin. So you can say, well, you know, I'm not, I didn't murder anybody. I'm not committing adultery. I'm not looking at pornography. But you say, well, it's just Facebook. It's good. Everybody has one. I mean, I have one. It's just TV. I mean, everybody has one. It's not bad. I'm not doing any harm. I gave this example in... Um, and Jennings, and, and I'll give it to you, is Xbox, for instance, okay? Xbox is not sinful. It's not wrong. But if you're still 30 years old, sitting around in your bedroom, in your underwear, and your mom is bringing you pizza rolls, and you're still playing Xbox, Xbox is wrong. Yeah, that's sin. Because <laughs> you are lazy, and Xbox is... Xbox is taking your attention away from Jesus. It's not that it's bad. It's just much easier to justify. Let me give you another one. Women, books, they're not wrong. A novel's not wrong. But if you're reading like all these books and you find this male character in this book who is so dreamy and who is everything that your husband could never be, it's sin. It's fantasizing. It's wrong. All these, these popular books, the Shades of Grey, and I mean, it's just, it's true. But you know what? You know what we do? And I, I see it working with youth all the time is, it, it's, like, it's just a book. It's just a movie. It's just, dude, if you can sit in a movie and watch naked women, and not think anything, then you come talk to me and, sh and tell me what you did. Because I just can't seem to do it. I can't seem to sit in a movie and watch naked women and be like, man, I'm holy and pure right now. <laughs> I can't do it. 
It's not just a movie. It's something that is, even though you may not realize it, it is taking your affections away from Jesus and it is causing you to drift. It is causing your heart to get hardened towards something and say, you know what, I can tolerate this. It's not that big of a deal. So what good things in your life are robbing your free time and causing you to drift? I'll give you my, uh, a personal example of my own. For months, I mean months, I felt just Jesus convicting me so much about just social media. And all these things that I'm saying, listen, I'm not harping on them and saying they're bad. I'm just saying if they are pulling you away from Jesus, then you need to check your heart about those things. I'm not saying that Facebook is wrong or TV is wrong or books are wrong. I read all. I, so I'm not saying that that's bad, okay? But for social media, for me, I found that every extra time or amount of extra time that I have, it was just kind of like going to those things. You know, and, you know, getting on Facebook and you get caught in like this, this just scroll and you don't know why you just keep reading, but you just do. You don't know why. Like, why can't I stop looking at pictures of people that I don't really even care about anyway? (laughs) You just keep doing it. And it's like this mindless kind of game. And the thing that I notice about those things is a lot of times we do that because deep down inside, there's a loneliness. Deep down inside, there's a, there's a, a want for something so much more. And so it's just another avenue that we kind of busy ourselves and so that we don't have to think about the state of our heart. And so what I ended up doing is I had to. I had to come to a place where I just took my iPhone and I deleted everything off of it. And I'll tell you the justification that was in my mind of the reason that I didn't want to do it and the reason it took me so long to do it is because like, I'm like, man, I, I love technology. I love being up to date with things. You know, I don't want to be like some person that doesn't know anything. or I'm not in the know about things and I don't know what's going on. And I found that my, my need for information and wanting to know things was more important than really wanting to connect with Jesus. And so what I had to do, I had, I'm like, okay, if that's really what it's, what's going on and it is pulling me away, I'm going to cut it off. Because here's what I find. We are at this moment as close to God as we choose to be. At this very moment, we are as close to God as we choose to be. And then there are times when we would like to know deeper intimacy, but when it comes to the point, we are not prepared to pay the price. So we we feel like we can sit in, in church and we can feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but when it comes to the point of you actually leaving here and making a decision to change a, a habit or really praying and saying, God, I can't change this on my own. I don't know how to change this, but I'm going to come to you every day and cry out to you and ask you to help me with this certain issue. Which leads me to the second point. Make war against your flesh. Make war against your flesh. 1 Peter 2, verse uh, 10 and 11 says, Once you were a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Did you catch that one word? Which wage war against your soul. We all know what happens to an army that is stacked with guns and the other guys that are just stacked with nothing. There's a war against your soul. There is a war, a declaration of all-out war to take you out and to get you to constantly fall into this wheel of just temptation and, and feeling like, well, I can just never change. You can even hear it in, in pop culture today. Listen to, turn on the radio and just listen to any song. The justification of every single song is we are just this way and we can't change. And every time I hear those songs, I want to be like, you can, that's right, you can't. You can't change. Jesus is the only one that can make any change. And it's all the more reason that you need him. Because you can't change it on your own. So what are we, when I, when I say make war against your flesh, we are constantly fighting to remember that we were once dead in our sin and that Jesus in his grace and his love and mercy pulled us out of that. I have to constantly fight to remember that. That it's a fight to know, a fight to remember who he is and what he has done. And the only possible attitude towards out of control desire is a declaration of all out war. So, I know by looking at me this morning, it's obvious that I've never been in war, right? But, I've heard stories. Um, and I was talking to this guy the other day, who's actually uh, one of, one of a, a great, great guy in our Jennings campus, and he's been in combat. And I was asking him just different questions a few weeks ago, preparing for this, and I said, Man, what is it about war that just changes people? And he said something that just stuck out. He said, you know, in war, all of your senses are extremely heightened. Extremely heightened. He said there was guys like that he was with that would be stuck in a foxhole or leaning up against a tree and left there for days having to defend this certain post. And he said, when you're up against that tree, it seems like you can hear a twig, twig snap from a mile and a half away. Because every sense is extremely heightened. I mean, you could imagine, like your ears are, you are listening extremely intently. Why? Because you know that bullets are going to come flying at you at some point, And you're defending your life. Your vision is extremely, I mean, you are panning back and forth. There's no time to fall asleep. Why? Because if you do, you die. There's something about war that increases our senses. There's something about connecting with Jesus and fighting our flesh on a daily basis that increases our senses to the things that are around us. See, if you're not making war, then your senses are not being increased. And ultimately, you're succumbing to things that are around you. A pastor named John Piper says it this way. He says, I hear so many Christians murmuring about their imperfections and their failures and their addictions and their shortcomings, and I see so little war. 
So here's the thing. We can sit around and complain about the things that we can't control. Or we can sit around and we can murmur about the things that we don't like about ourselves. Or we have the opportunity to carve those things, that time out of our day to say, Jesus, I'm going to connect with you and I'm going to battle and I'm going to fight these things. Here's the thing. Jesus went to the cross because he knew that we were all screw-ups. He knew that we were going to fail. It's the whole reason he had to send his son. So listen, if you're battling with an addiction and you're saying, maybe you're in the position where you say, listen, I am connecting with Jesus on a daily basis. I know that I'm doing absolutely everything that I can do to pursue him. And you still feel like you're falling short. It's the whole reason that Jesus went to the cross because he knew that you were not good enough and his son was more than sufficient to cover your sin. So let me ask you a question. Did Jesus just just die for your past sins? Your, Your present sins? He died for your past, present, and future sins. Why? You weren't alive 2,000 years ago. So it definitely wasn't your past sins and it definitely wasn't your future sins. It had to be future sins, right? Because you weren't alive. Past, present, future. Even the sins that you feel like you're never going to get out of. He died for those. See, in war, a soldier goes days without sleep, oftentimes days without food. But there's one thing that remains, no matter how weak they feel, they're always extremely vigilant of their surroundings. They are always vigilant about their surroundings. Why? Because if they're not, they can be succumbed to those surroundings. War keeps us vigilant. So what are we making war against? What are we making war against? Every impulse in our soul that causes us to drift further away from Christ. I mean, we could list a thousand things, but lust of the eyes, power, fame, money, the approval of man. The only foothold that Satan has in your life is sin. Can I tell you something? This may blow some of your minds. Nobody goes to hell because of Satan. Nobody goes to hell because of Satan. The only reason is sin. Make war against sin. You know, your biggest enemy is not Satan. It's you. Your biggest enemy is not Satan because all he has to do is plant one little thought and then he leaves and he goes messes with somebody else. Your biggest enemy is you. That is why Paul says, crucify the flesh. When you think about it, that's a a pretty gruesome analogy. It's a pretty violent analogy. But it's very appropriate. Because I believe he's talking about war. Like crucify your flesh. Put it to death. Fight. You may come out bleeding, hobbling, missing a limb. But you are fighting and you're not giving up. The thing that... Here's, here's one thing to just encourage you real quick. In uh, Deuteronomy um, chapter 1, verse 30, 
And this is right before the children of Israel are about to go into the promised land. And do you remember what happens like as they go send out their spies and they see like all these huge giants in the land and they freak out like, God, you gave us this land, but you're going to have to slay these giants. And God's like, no, you, you go slay them. So they're freaking out. They're scared. And in verse 30, what does he say? The Lord, your God, who goes before you will himself fight for you. Just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. So here's the crazy thing. When you go to war, it's not just you fighting. When you choose to connect with Jesus and commune with him on a daily basis, you are choosing to fight not just by yourself, but with the God of the universe. He's not leaving you on your own to fight this battle by yourself. And the part that I love is that just as he did for you in Egypt, before your eyes, you connect with him long enough, you spend time with him long enough, and you walk with him long enough, you will see him fight for you before your eyes. I want to bring it to a close with a quote by John Owen, and it says this, He sees the inside of us all. He sees not as we see, but ponders the man of the heart. No humble, broken, contrite soul shall lose one sigh or groan after him and commune with him. No pant of love or desire is hid from him. What does that mean? Even when you don't emotionally feel Jesus, there's not a single fight to pursue him that goes unseen. There's not a single fight that goes unseen. Can I tell you something, church? It's, Christianity is a fight. A fight to know. And it is not about how you emotionally feel. Go walk into any bookstore across America, and I guarantee you that the number one selling book is some self-help book. Ten Steps to Better Yourself. Six-Minute Abs. I mean, if you can get that, let me know. I don't know how that works. In our culture, we want things now. We want things fast. We don't want to fight. We just want somebody to give us the solution and then try to apply it to our life. And it never works. I'll leave this book nameless, but there's a book out there, many books out there, that is always giving you five or ten steps to have a better day or a better Friday or a better week and whatever it is. And every person that reads that book, I always come back to them and say, hey, how those steps working for you? Did you fall yesterday? Did you battle some temptation? And they're always extremely disappointed. Why? Because you cannot take a solution and just try to apply it to your life without saying, God, I'm going to battle. I'm going to war. I'm in this for the long haul. It may take some pain. It may take some discouragement. But I'm in this. I'm in this fight to know Jesus because in the end I get to be with Jesus. So no matter where you're at right now or how you feel emotionally, it does not matter. He's paid the price. When he said it is finished, it truly was. 
And it takes us saying, God, I am choosing to come to you, to be with you, to connect with you. And out of that, your emotions and and your will begins to align with his will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you are a faithful, good God. God, that no matter where we're at spiritually, God, what we're battling, what we're facing, God, we pray that you would help us to understand that we will never drift towards holiness, God. And God, that is on us to make war against the flesh. But God, that we can be encouraged by knowing that it's not just us fighting by ourselves, that you fight with us. God, that you're faithful even when we are not. In Jesus' name.